Good morning. It's 11 minutes before 8 a.m. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Wednesday, October 4th, 2023. I'm Peter Apathy with Raven News. Voters handed high school teacher Tim Pike a three-year term on the Sitka Assembly after ballots were counted on Election Day Tuesday. A second three-year term on the Assembly will be decided by absentee counting this Friday. Tim Pike was an incumbent appointed earlier this year to the Assembly to fill a vacant seat. Fellow incumbent J.J. Carlson was also an appointed incumbent and finished second to Pike by only 127 votes. Carlson's taking the second available three-year term is not assured, however. Challenger Scott Saline finished just nine votes behind Carlson, which puts him easily in range of capturing the seat when a possible 79 absentee ballots are counted on Friday. In any event, both Saline and Carlson will serve on the Assembly beginning this fall, with the candidate winning the fewer votes taking only a one-year term. Political newcomer Austin Cranford finished a distant fourth with just over 500 votes. For Sitka School Board, incumbent appointee Tom Williams won a three-year term. Williams was the only name on the ballot for three open seats on the board. It was a close race between Steve Morse and Phil Burdick, who entered as write-in candidates in September. After the ballots were counted late Tuesday, the two were neck-and-neck with 425 votes for Burdick and 397 votes for Morse. After the absentee votes are counted on Friday, the top vote-getter will take a full term on the board and the runner-up will take a two-year term. Both Morse and Burdick are retired educators and well-known in the district. The lower-than-usual interest in serving on the Sitka School Board in the past few years prompted Ballot Proposition 1, which would amend the Sitka Charter to allow municipal employees to serve on the school board. Voters passed the proposition overwhelmingly by nearly a 4-to-1 margin. Proposition 2 was a bit tighter. It asked voters to reinstate a 1% seasonal sales tax to support school maintenance, repair, and construction. Voters approved the proposition by a two-to-one margin. The tax, which was in place for the last 20 years and used to pay off school bonds, will raise an estimated $2.3 million to support school infrastructure, which is entirely owned by the city. Turnout in Sitka was consistent with the last municipal election. About 1,500 residents cast ballots this year, but several hundred below the highly competitive general election last year when the late Congressman Don Young's seat was up for grabs. Wild king salmon stocks are in decline all over the North Pacific Ocean and Alaska. Some regions outside of Alaska attempted to conserve the fish by limiting sport fishermen to hatchery-only kings. That type of fishery is being studied as a possibility for southeast Alaska, but as Coast Alaska's Angela Denning reports, the idea is receiving a chilly reception so far. British Columbia, Washington, and Oregon use what's called mark-selective sport fishing to help conserve wild king salmon. Anglers can only keep hatchery kings that have their fins clipped a marking practice that's done at hatcheries before the juvenile fish are released. It's really about trying to vet another approach. Judy Lum is the state supervisor for sport fishing in southeast Alaska. And so it was like, okay, well, they do it down here. Can it work for us? And if it can work for us, in what situations, what conditions, or can it be broad brush, or does it have to be very specific? Could it be region-wide or just in specific areas? 
Lum stresses that they are only studying the possibilities. They don't know if a marked selective fishery would help or hinder king salmon stocks or whether the benefits outweigh any potential costs. We have all these tools in our toolbox, so to speak, for management. And this would be just one additional tool to the toolbox. The question originated within the Pacific Salmon Commission. The commission is a regulatory group of U.S. and Canadian governments overseeing that salmon management is fair in both countries. Alaskans involved with the commission asked the state's Department of Fish and Game to consider the potential for a marked selective fishery in Southeast. The department contracted with the University of Washington to do the study using grant money. But so far, Alaskans haven't been receptive to the idea. The state has held community engagement meetings in Juneau, Ketchikan, Klawak, and Sitka, and Lum says they've heard a lot of concerns. Derek Anderson attended the meeting in Klawak. A lot of people are upset. He and his wife own a fishing lodge in Craig on Prince of Wales Island. He says the meeting was standing room only and full of emotion. Subsistence, commercial, and sport users came together. The main voice was no. This is not a good program for Southeast Alaska in any way, shape, or form. Anderson says they'd rather keep things the way they are and fish by harvest limits, which recently has been a few fish per day for residents and two to three fish per season for non-residents. He says targeting just hatchery kings would hurt more fish. There's just not enough hatchery fish in our waters to make that whole thing viable. If you're out there having to fish for hours on end to look for a hatchery fish and you're turning back wild fish after wild fish after wild fish, a lot of those fish end up dying. Fishermen in Sitka felt the same. Roughly three dozen people participated in the community meeting, including 74-year-old Eric Jordan. He's a lifelong troller and says everyone was cordial, but no one wanted the program. I think there was a lot of skepticism in the audience that this would be a good way to go here. Jordan is a self-described conservationist and has participated in fish policy for decades from local fish advisory councils to the State Board of Fish. He says for the program to work, it would have to address the harm of catch and release. In the salt waters of Southeast Alaska, you're gonna need to change the rules to minimize mortality. How many kings in Southeast are wild or hatchery varies by location. It's complicated because most of the kings originate in non-Alaska areas, both wild and hatchery stocks, and not all hatchery fish are marked. And there isn't hard data that the program is working elsewhere. Marked selective fisheries have been ongoing for about 20 years in some locations in Washington. But has it really been successful? The jury is still out, says Anne Baudreau. She's an associate professor at the University of Washington conducting the state study. There's so many different variables to that. And it's actually been a really hard question to answer. So she says something like it may or may not work in Alaska. Mark selective fisheries are not a one-size-fits-all approach. The way that they have been implemented and the way that they've been managed has been different depending on where they've, you know, where they've taken place. The study results are expected to be completed by next spring. Reporting for Coast Alaska, in Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning. The Alaska Longline Fishermen's Association announced on Tuesday they were awarded $700,000 from the U.S. Department of Energy. As KFSK's Shelby Herbert reports, the new funding is intended to steer the commercial fleet away from their old diesel engines. 
The project is called the Alaska Longline Fishermen's Association Boat Energy Transition Accelerator, or Alpha Beta, and it's geared toward bringing hybrid and full electric engines to small boat fishing. The project will build off Alpha's work with the National Renewable Energy Labs in 2021, which retrofitted a Sitka-based 46-foot commercial fishing boat named Igata with a new hybrid engine. Linda Bankin is the executive director of the Alaska Longline Fishermen's Association. She couldn't be reached for comment, but in a written press release, Bankin said the new project will, quote, transition the fishing fleet toward clean energy, mitigate climate change, and ensure the long-term viability of Alaska's small boat fisheries. According to the release, it's not just the environment that'll benefit from the switchover. It could be a win-win for longliners and locals alike. The cleaner, more efficient engines should reduce operational costs and accelerate fleet performance. Alpha Beta says it would leverage the new funds to work with Alaska businesses and academic institutions to create new jobs and promote tech innovation in Alaska's maritime sector. Longlining is a quota-based season, so many longliners use the windows of time when they're not longlining to work in other fisheries, like crabbing, gill netting, and even sea cucumber diving. So if the longlining vessels get a green update, it might also passively cover lots of other fisheries. However, upgrading and installing even one diesel motor could cost up to a quarter million dollars, depending on the boat. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert. Jobs are available in Alaska, but the workforce to fill them isn't there. A report from the Association of Alaska School Boards linked it to underfunding public schools, especially guidance counselors and guidance programs. As reported by the Alaska Beacon, the report noted that one in five young adults in Alaska isn't connected to school or work. Emily Ferry, a coordinator for the Association of Alaska School Boards, said schools and tribes need support for these programs. She said money and support are one piece of the puzzle, but another is creating a culture around college and future planning for students. The study identified that relationships are the key to successful programs that help students make future plans and graduate, she said. The Alaska College and Career Guide Program was a grant-funded program that did that in Alaska, but Ferry said those supports went away after its grant ended, even though it was successful. Lon Garrison, the executive director of the Alaska Association of School Boards, said the study shows that schools need to start making connections with students and talking about the future. He said the School Boards Association wants to see the state make strategic investments in education programs that address the transition from school to the workforce. And that's all for Raven News for this hour. You can listen to or read our stories again on our website at kcaw.